Hey, Lisa. This is... <laughs> How are you? I suck at that part. Come on, come on. Um, hey, Dom. This is our second episode, and we're going to listen back to recordings that we did from June and July last year, today, and in the next episode. Yeah, so um, this being a podcast where we talk about serious stuff and laugh, um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of both coming up in this conversation. Um, uh, I think at some point, it, quite early in this conversation, I say it pretty much feels like it's all over relative to uh, COVID. <laughs> so that's a pretty, uh, pretty good starting point for what you can um, pick up from li- listening to something a year later <laughs> that you recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking that the, the value of a recording like this would be, you know, in 10 or 15 years when everything seems so distant. But in fact, even after a year, it all seems like it belongs to a different universe of experience. Yeah, it does feel like happening to other people. And, you know, a year from now, we could look back and be like, I can't believe you thought, well, we don't we don't really think anything anymore, actually. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we believed the international panel on climate change. <laughs> we're being too pessimistic. In fact, we're I being know. pessimistic enough. <laughs> so, so should we just, uh, should we just go with it? Um, yeah, you know, there might be some stuff in here around... Um, I mean, there there are some things in here around death. We mention um, the existence of and use of drugs and addiction, though briefly, but it's in here. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. You know, that if if we give this trigger warning at the beginning of every episode, that um, in fact, there's no episode that isn't probably going to have those things in it That's somewhere true. along the way. But anyway. Um, I'm laughing. That Such, doesn't mean I'm not taking it seriously. No, I take it seriously. That's why I want to warn people. But also, yeah, this this entire um, series, and essentially, anytime you talk to me, you're going to be talking about like something serious like that, you know. So, but if you're not in the mood for today, maybe not today, but hopefully another time, because um, I think there's real value in and processing um, through hearing stories. Yeah. So this was recorded last June, and at that time there were 1,156 deaths reported in Arizona. Um, And as of today, when we're talking, it's 16,328 is that number. Yeah, and my mom was one of them, and I I don't ever forget that whenever I hear that number, I'm always like, and one of them was my mom. So just for context, I I think uh, on Friday, um, the state of Arizona recorded over 1,600 new cases overnight, something like that. So uh, as I was thinking about that, it's funny because um, where we are in Australia, it pretty much feels like it's all over. You know what I mean? Well, you know, to be fair, I think that's how most Arizonans feel about it too. They're just wrong, you know. So, so um, what's what's it? Um, maybe you could give me a bit of a, a background. So, what's your experience been like in Arizona from from the the start of this whole sort of COVID nineteen situation in the U.S. Right? Yeah, I think you know from being here, 
uh, from the beginning has always felt, um, I, to be honest, a little bit scary for me. Um, I, you know, we're next to California and I, you know, paid a lot of attention to sort of the California response. I work, um, the, my office is in San Francisco and I felt like from the beginning, I think it seemed like California and San Francisco were sort of on it with regard to their response. Um, though they did have more cases than we did. Um, and in Arizona, it just, it's felt like the response has been slow. Um, I got sick myself in the beginning of April and, um, I was never able to get a test at that point. Um, because the belief at that point was, you know, if you don't have kind of these really severe symptoms, then, you know, you probably don't have COVID and there weren't enough tests. So they were being really, um, they weren't giving out many tests. The guidance was basically, you know, you've got to be essentially on the verge of hospitalization or you don't get tested for COVID. And what that resulted in is a low number of cases seemingly in the state, um, despite the fact that as far as I knew, people were getting sick. It just wasn't getting reported. Um, I never was able to get a test. Later on, they opened up the guidance as we got more tests. Um, but I felt like that experience of hey, you know, you might be, at, uh, you may be sick with COVID, take care of it at home, you're kind of on your own, has been the approach, has been the feeling here in Arizona. Um, very little sort of guidance from the governor. And, you know, now we're in a situation where there's more cases, I think today is 1500 cases um, every day, which is more than we had back in April. Um, but it's sort of this feeling of like, you're on your own. Um, this state opened up, I think like three weeks ago, um, meaning you can go to restaurants, you can go to bars, you can go to the doctor, you can get your hair cut, you can get a tattoo. Um, but there's very little guidance on what those restaurants have to do in order to be open. Right. And, um, from what I've been told, cause I know I try not to go out myself. There's very few people wearing masks. Um, and generally in Arizona, I think there's this like, oh, I haven't gotten sick yet. Therefore, it's not really um, it's not really a risk for me. It's not really a real thing. Yeah, I, it's I mean, my my stepfather literally said that to me. Like, I just don't I don't I haven't gotten sick. So I don't believe that this is out there. Right. So how much of that response or lack of response at a state level is determined by having a Republican governor and then the the messages coming out of the White House, if you're able to kind of get a sense of that. I think they're hugely related. His um, The governor um, of, this, of Arizona is a Republican, and he's been largely along the same talking points as the president. Um, so it's not hugely surprising because it is a red state uh, that there's pressure for them to, and our own governor doesn't wear masks. He shakes hands when he meets people. Um, famously, uh, the, the president actually came out here a few weeks ago and visited a mask facility and didn't wear a mask himself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not surprised that three weeks later, our numbers are super high. It was such a great, that was such a great, um, <laughs> such a great touch that really to visit a mask facility without a mask. 
Yeah, and this, and this is sort of the first facility he visited after breaking his um, his own whatever few weeks he stayed at the White House, um, not traveling. So yeah. it was a big deal. Yeah. I think it was, you know, it was pretty symbolic of, I think, how a lot of people in this state feel, which is like, you know, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so is that, is it, so how much of it ties into that? So like, um, can you give me a picture of, you know, Arizona for anybody who's not familiar with the culture in somewhere like Arizona? So like you, you mentioned, you're, um, you're next to California. You're also next to the Mexican border. Absolutely. Yeah. So, then, so give me a sense of uh, what, what's Arizona like culturally that would might maybe be playing into this a bit. There's it's uh, there's, you know, there's a dichotomy here because we are next to the border. A large percentage of the state is Hispanic, you know, or Mexican. Um, and uh, so you have that um, existing here in a part of the culture. But there's this sort of, I would say it's like the white Arizonans, the older white-haired um, Arizonans who um, kind of have this really strong sense of don't tell me what to do. I've come here to enjoy the sun and, and not pay taxes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, kind of the, the sort of old Wild West pictures of that, you know, uh, depict the Southwest are not, you know, too far off of like a lot of attitudes I encounter here. There's just a lot of, you know, if I not science-based um, decision-making that's really strongly about let me do my thing. Um, so, you know, I think that's generally an American sort of ideal, but I um, have lived in a few places and feel like it's the strongest I see it the strongest here in Arizona where you just um you know you don't tell someone what to do <laughs> and you don't get in the way of their their ability to make money um and I think that's another part of it too uh so we have a lot of retirees we have a lot of um people who've made money here in you know construction or in you know one of our other you know cattle um, and want to protect that. Um, and, and it's to be honest, like in my opinion, I've met, you know, quite a few, uh, people who seem frankly racist, um, in their approach as well. Like it seems sort of similar to me, like, well, how does hey, that, how does that play out? Go on. So, I mean, we have this tension, right. Between people who are between Mexicans here and sort of like this, um, wealthy white folks who sometimes have been here for multi-generations and you know obviously there's a natural desire to use like labor I mean there's a natural need sorry I should say there's a lot of work here um, and so there's a need for a lot of uh, labor from folks who are immigrants or more recently moved to the United States but at the same time I think any sort of real threat to um, what's perceived as someone's like ability to make money is met with, um, you know, I think pretty harsh resistance. Right. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, I don't trust you because you're not white here. Um, even though so many folks aren't. Right. Right. So, um, how long have you been in lockdown essentially? You personally? <laughs> Given that, given that you could, so presumably, as we speak, you could, after this call, hang up and 
head out and go to go to, the, go to a yeah. restaurant or go go get a drink an early an early uh, evening cocktail somewhere i can't wait until i can do that um but you're right technically i can do that i'm choosing not to do that because i don't trust the the folks around me are being safe um so i've been in lockdown since the end of march i'm gonna say um the place i work shut down their offices pretty early in mid-march uh-huh. uh, because we do a lot of travel and i think they saw the risk pretty early on to our workforce of folks folks started getting sick so i think we were early in our industry to shut down our offices and go 100 percent remote um I already work remotely, so it wasn't that big of a change for me to go on lockdown. But in terms of, you know, no longer going to the bar, to the restaurant, um, I get all my food delivered. Um, You know, generally try not to go out into the public or have people in the public come inside my house. Um, It's been since March. Right. Now, um, over this period, haven't you just bought a new house? Haven't you just moved into a new house? (laughs) Yeah, so like uh, I'm going to say I made an offer on a house three days before my offices shut down. Right. So basically right right when we sort of, it was mid-March, we kind of realized there was, or early March I should say, we realized that um, stuff was really going down. Um, I made an offer and then was basically, you know, in that 30-day period of closing, Wondering if we were about to go into a huge recession, which we are, um, and if buying a house was the best time to do, you know, if this was the best time. I mean, I think the other challenge, you know, when I finally closed, um, is getting anything moved or installed. Right, yeah. Um, so I've been mostly sitting in an empty house. I have cardboard on my windows because I don't want to have someone in here doing window treatments. Window and, treatments being um, uh, to keep like the sunlight. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And also for privacy. And so uh, they didn't come with the house. And, you know, things were just closed for a long time. So I couldn't, you know, get stuff done that you might normally get yeah, when you move. Yeah. Um, I was sleeping on the floor, like a mattress on the floor for a while, <laughs> you know, just like things I take for granted about being able to hire somebody to help me like put together furniture or, you know, just the typical things that I think I, I've taken for granted as a person with privilege. How, how are you feeling? Now I feel great. Uh, I was pretty ill for a few weeks, um, but I'm feeling much better now. Uh-huh. Uh, I was during that period of time, I was lucky enough to still be at my sister's house where uh, they had a bedroom with a bathroom in the back of the house. And I just stayed in that room for two weeks. I never left that room. And that was a very new experience for me. And the first, you know, 10 days or so, I was very sick. I didn't want to leave anyway. But um, having so limited contact, not being able to sort of walk around, make my own food, things like that. Yeah. Um, it was a very different experience for sure. It felt very like uh, something out of like a Jane Austen novel or something. Like uh, um, like you'd been um, confined to the attic sort of thing? Yes, GNR. exactly. <laughs> yeah, like I might have consumption or something. And 
or, you know, like I've gone to visit someone across the way and, you know, I broke my leg or something and then I just have to live there for the season. Right. That's what it felt like. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's misery, it's misery, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, you're kind of, it's, terrible. it's not the worst thing though. And you know, that's, the thing no, no, you just no, have no to I know, I know. Sorry. I meant, I meant misery that I was just thinking of misery, the movie, you know, oh. like, <laughs> the book and the I, movie. Yeah. That is what it felt like. I was really at the whim of my sister and her brother-in-law. They could have done anything. And those guys are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) They could have put anything in the food they were giving me. (laughs) I was totally dependent, totally dependent. Every meal. So where's where's your head going when you're in that that space, right? Well, you're trying to think about dying, Uh I think. I think that's probably the most surprising thing is how often the you're just sitting there and you don't have anything else to do. So you're like, well, but what if these are my last days? You know, like what if things get worse? And I think that's the part, the anxiety um, with COVID is like everyone's texting me and saying, well, be careful because on day 10, you might just fall over dead. <laughs> you know, like people just give the worst advice and, I tried my best not to read much about it except, you know, to keep myself aware of the symptoms to watch out for. But like, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you don't know, you're going to end up in the hospital. Are, are you pretty confident that it, that it was COVID then? Uh, I would say I feel about 70% right, that it yeah. was COVID. Yeah. Um, I think if I was sick now with those symptoms, they would have tested me and think, treated me as though I had it. How um how have the rest of your family been dealing with it? Like, what have the um with COVID? Yeah, yeah. If they've been dealing we with can... it at all. Yeah, weirdly, uh, nobody else has gotten sick. Thankfully, um, I have a large family. I have uh, five siblings in this area that I live in in Phoenix, Arizona, and I've never seen them virtually as much as I have in the last. <laughs> Three months. Something weird has happened to us where our past grievances, I guess you could say, have have sort of been, if not let go, then paused. So, you know, we talk to each other pretty often and um, I've kind of appreciated rediscovering, you know, what I loved about my family, which is a large reason why I moved back here. I just didn't really think about the fact that it would be so much family. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, they're, they're all for the most part doing well. I do have one brother who, um, he was a gig worker at the beginning of this. And, uh, so he struggled with finding, um, that kind of work. It kind of went out the window really doing, um, Uber driving, Lyft driving, he was doing food delivery. That that did okay, but the problem is he was homeless, and he was finding it really difficult to make good decisions about where he could sleep at night. Um, right. So I, I think that you know that's been hard. Uh, he he now has a place that's more stable, but he was living out of motels for a while because they were so cheap um, that he could make enough money in one day and then find a place to sleep that night because nobody else was sleeping in the motel. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but, uh, 
Yeah. So, you know, I think the rest of my family's done quite well. Nobody's lost their job. and But they're taking it seri- they've been taking it seriously. They have. I would say, as I mentioned, my stepfather, who lives with my mother, my mother's immunocompromised. She's 65. She's got diabetes, heart disease. She's morbidly obese. She's got all of the things, all the check marks that say, if you have these factors and you get sick, you may end up having a worse outcome. Uh, so we've tried to keep them at home, but you know, she just told me last week they're hosting they're hosting karaoke. <laughs> can can you just say that again that they're hosting karaoke and, and go oh. from there? Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting a cold, so I was actually. Yeah, I, I hear that. I was snottering down the. I was snot, but I was trying not to sound so gross. So sorry. I hear that, and I just wonder how can you get a cold? How can I get? How can you get it? You know what I mean? Like you're, we're doing so good with like not transmitting anything. <laughs> I don't. So I, how are you? I don't know. Cold? I don't know. I don't know. But you have kids. I have, have kids. kids. I have kids, yeah. and they are they are traveling incubators for. <laughs> well and your kids are back to school our kids are still not i don't have kids but my sister's kids are not um back in school yet so Uh, is that a is that a state is that a state state that's a state mandated thing or is it city mandated like whether the kids go back because i would have thought that if if there's this kind of desperation for having the businesses back open and don't stop us making money don't stop the kind of capitalist machine from cranking uh getting the kids back to school would be part of that right it's um, it's actually yeah. So it's summer right now, and not only is it summer, it's like 110 degrees outside summer Fahrenheit. Uh, so this is typically when kids aren't in school. Of course, sorry. Yes, um, my my so... world view is completely reversed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Finally, and... living in Australia is starting to sink in with me. I'm kind of like, <laughs> right, because you you guys are going into winter, right? So you're in school. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, we just sort of graduated. Um, right, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, you know, that was rough because everyone was still, you know, doing their schoolwork at home and everything. Uh, it is intended that the schools will be open in the fall. Um, one of the things, though, that I really am curious about is if our numbers are this high, uh, if they continue to be this high, um, whether or not they will open schools Um, and then preschools it's a matter again it's a matter of personal preference so there's no mandate from the state right now that a preschool can't be open so preschools are allowed to be open daycares are allowed to be open Uh, but my sister's you know school uh, a kid already got sick or I'm sorry not a kid uh, a parent was already reported as sick with COVID and once they have a parent that's sick with COVID, they sort of have to shut down the whole school. Right. And, um, and your sister has two young, two young kids. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She hadn't chosen to, to put them back in because, you know, like me, she's paying attention to these numbers. And it's just, you know, I think it's an, it's an unreal feeling of seeing people make decisions and going, but has anyone looked at the data? <laughs> has anyone looked at the numbers yet? Um, and you know, what we also pay attention to is the number of deaths and the, uh, which are rising and also, um, the percentage of utilization of ICU beds. And currently Phoenix is just reported as being at capacity for ICU beds. So, and you've had uh, one, I think 
uh, as of today or a couple of days ago, 1,156 people have died in the state. Yeah. 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 39 people today were reported as dying. Right now. Have you heard any good conspiracy theories about? Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I I, I was talking about my stepfather earlier. (laughs) He's my main source for conspiracy theories. Everybody should have Uh, one source who they trust (laughs) to be completely untrustworthy, you know? He's... um, he he's the one who he just started hosting a, a karaoke night again, uh, which I think is amazing because I you know I'm like are people singing with masks? I feel like singing is one of the worst things you can do around a person if you're trying not to get droplets, especially you know, in a small it. space. And you've been to a lot of karaoke. I mean, they can be pretty. They're always small, yeah. There's a lot of spray going on once the once the blood's up, you know. <laughs> Exactly. And I guess he's he's switching out. He does have covers for the mics, so he feels pretty good about it. But uh, yeah, no, he's the one who's told me, you know, he, uh, you know, things such as, you know, I heard that if, you know, you get a, your arm is red and you that means that you don't have COVID, even if you have a fever, if you have like a, a red uh, hue to your body. Wow. Um, a red arm, man. Eh? I know, right? Very strange. Uh, he's also invested in, he believes in the like IV, or sorry, the um, infrared light theory that right. Trump uh, talked about. Yeah. He's, big, he's a big believer in that. So he went out and bought some of those devices. Right. Um, home grade. So they'll do nothing anyway. Um, right. Even if, even if it worked, which it didn't. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, you know, he, he's, he's the one who's, you know, he's told me I, I haven't gotten sick yet. So, um, I don't really think that it's going to happen. And, you know, my, my response to that is you really only need to know one person who has gotten sick, I think, to really feel it. Um, of course my response is also, Hey, I was sick. (laughs) Um, yeah. And and my mom and my mom really can't get sick. Yeah. Oh, you know, I've, I've sent her some pretty brutal messages um, because I found out she went to the casino. Right. Uh, the casino's opened up here. <laughs> and despite the fact that for months she's been staying home and we've been telling her, you know, all of the numbers, um, as soon as it, the casino's opened up, she went over there. <laughs> So, you know, since then, that was last week, so I've just been texting her the numbers and telling her to stay home, and um, it's hard, you know, you don't want to say it to your parent, like, you you will, you will, are the person that we're protecting, you're the reason we're staying home, because if you get sick, you may die, um, because that's not something anyone really wants to face, but that's true, you know, and so... Um, she wants to go to karaoke and I'm like, no, don't go to karaoke <laughs> where everyone's going to be spitting through their songs. <laughs> or at least, at least during the power ballads, move back from the stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he, my stepfather told me he's had the busiest night he's ever had uh, when he started up again. So, you know, there's a lot of really, you know, there's a lot of pressure to open up around here. Um, I, I would like to think that the more people who are touched by folks who pass, 
from COVID. In my case, um, I've had a few people I know whose parents have already have died. And um, I think the more people are affected that way, I hope they'll make better decisions. But right now, more than ever, I'm staying away from anybody. Right. <laughs> Um, it's, it's not, it's not a, if I did have COVID, it's not something I would wish on anyone, um, at all. Uh, even if you get the mild version. Have you, have you then, um, like we're laughing about it, but, um, if you think about when you first got sick and where you are now, um, are you still thinking about death a lot? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think about it more than I did before staying home so much. I tell you what, I think about death all the time, and I think it's just because I'm 52, I've turned 52, yeah. and I've never <laughs> been less healthy. If in the last kind of eight months, something happened, yeah. I've just been I've been eating like a horse. But did I, you give up? But a horse that doesn't do any exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I I haven't gone outside. You know, I haven't. Um, my sister got a, a little play pool. And I went over there because we are we are um, sharing our houses, and uh, I just sat out there and got sun the other day. Yeah, totally just spiked my mood. I was in the best mood for days. Um, so it turns out just sitting inside with sun is like not a great idea yeah. for your mental health. Um, so yeah, I mean I think living alone during this is harder. Uh, because there's just, yeah, like there's just a lot more time to think about things like death or like what if you choke on a chicken bone and no one's here, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> How long would it be before someone realized? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But I guess I uh, guess at that point it's, it's immaterial anyway because if you've already choked on the chicken bone, you know. Yeah, you don't really care. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But I think about those last moments. They'd probably be pretty terrifying if you choked on a chicken bone. Because I think you'd be thinking, I wish I had made a different de decision. Like, I wish I had. I wish I'd got a, got a burger instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like maybe don't eat chicken bones. <laughs> well, um, Lisa, it's... um. It's such a treat to actually be talking to you, um, in yeah. in real life, like. <laughs> it is a treat to talk to you too, Dom. Seriously, thank you for taking the time to chat to me. It's been brilliant, and um, uh, watch yourself. All right, <laughs> we'll see you. How how did that? How like what was that like for you listening to that, Lisa? Because you told me you hadn't listened to that since we recorded last year um it was it was a, a bit of a roller coaster of emotion you know i laughed i cried i was i don't know like a bit i was surprised not that anything i was saying was um wrong but like how much I was saying that was right. And also how much could be said about today. And I wouldn't have expected 
to still be having the same thoughts and the same conversation today as I did a year ago about how the pandemic is being managed in Arizona and, you know, on a global scale too. And um, I was really afraid of how many people were going to die. And I still don't think I could have realized how many people, you know, have died and are going to continue to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your worst predictions were right on the money. Yeah. I, I didn't remember that I talked that much about how much we were trying to protect my mom and how much um, she, we knew she shouldn't get sick. And then she did, you know, actually, I think as of the time of our recording, she may have already been sick and she did die. And um, I didn't, I didn't realize um, that's not something I wanted to be right about, I guess. I love being right, but that was not one that I wanted to be right about. You could let that one go. (laughs) I also didn't realize that I had talked about like, like social isolation being its own, you know, thing to be worried about. Now that's, I'm really focused on that because it, you know, it ended up doing harm for me but like I didn't realize that I I knew about that <laughs> so I'm like I guess I knew about a lot of stuff and I um I mean that is really interesting because as as we'll hear in the next couple of weeks right that that does become the I, I don't know like where the rubber hits the road in a way mm-hmm. as things start to get um as things start to unfold, yeah. Um, like, I wonder if you had yeah. some inner sense at the, at the time. Well, I guess, like, of course you did. I mean, you were you were talking about that initial phase of isolation um, at your sister's house, and so yeah, yeah. How quaint the two weeks. How quaint and innocent <laughs> that seems. Oh, my little two week journey. And now I'm like, what? Like months, <laughs> like a year, you know? Um, but that is one of the things about the, one of the things about the nature of this pandemic and uh, that none of us have ever been through before this kind of experience is mm-hmm. its ability to, like 10 minutes in a day can seem like like a span of hours and then at the same time, as we were just saying, the year and a bit since that first recording happened seems sort of like a blip as well. Like yeah. everything is kind of compressed and stretched at the same time in different ways. And your sort of perception of these things seems seems sort of distorted, like, the, like there's been a, a tear in the space-time continuum. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like, um, I've seen a few friends that I didn't see during the pandemic. And I just want to be like, how the hell did you get through it? But on the other hand, I'm like, let's not talk about it because let's act as if nothing happened. I'm sick of this thing. (laughs) 
You know, but I see. Also, <laughs> I was just as I was just thinking there, like, you know, when the kids are homeschooling, there would be there'd be there'd be times when it just is a total skish, it's dead easy, and there's other times where I'm just like, if I can just get through the next five minutes without locking one of them in the fridge or something, <laughs> <laughs> that'll you know. I'll be doing okay. So just just get through think, that next five minutes. Uh, yeah, from what I've learned about like behavioral therapy methods, that is the way you do it. You're just like, well, lock them I in can the get through the next five. No, I can get through the next five minutes <laughs> without locking them in the fridge. No, no, the first that's they don't recommend that. But um, there was something I said, or one of us said, you said it, uh, which was. This idea when you're, I don't know who said it. Anyway, when you're in isolation and the minutes are going by slowly and you're just kind of by yourself and you're trying not to think about dying, you know? And for me anyway, that was a huge part, especially after my mom passed, after Mike passed, I was like so much more aware of death and, and in isolation. It's really hard not to think about that. You know, and I wouldn't recommend focusing on that to anybody. <laughs> Actually, I think if you're thinking about that all the time, you might want to reach out for help. But like, you know, the sort of idea about what if what if these are my last days? And um, I was haunted by some of the last things that my mom said, you know, to me and thinking about her last moments um, as well as as my own. So, you know, all that. All of that is um, not an experience that I've ever had before. And I think a lot of people haven't ever had before. But um, potentially a lot of people on a global scale, you know, have had or are having that experience now. So I I just took a dark turn there, but... Well, that's what we're here for, Lisa. Which brings us to next week. <laughs> what are we talking about next week? Next week, I <laughs> I wanted to revisit the next set of audio that we recorded last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but I I I haven't we haven't discussed this yet. Are are you? Do you feel like you're in a position to do that, or would you rather not? Yeah. No. I think I'm. I think I'm alright. I think I feel good about it. Um. I had this recent experience in an airport. Now I got I got extra security screening, so I had some time to chat with the TSA agent. And um, you know, he was vaccinated, but he was telling me his his brother in law wasn't getting vaccinated, but his sister had COPD. And I told him my story, and and he um, he was very moved by it, you know. And he said, "Keep telling that story." So, you know, uh, as hard as it might be to revisit, I do feel right now, like, just as I did last year, like, we have to continue talking about our experience here to perhaps trump, no pun intended, people's uh, desire to want to ignore all, you know, all the evidence that says that they should be careful and making better decisions so yeah i'm ready for it let's do it 